You all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. They don't have to like it, but they're gonna see what happens. Goodbye, wimps. And now, without further ado, from Albert Shivers. The general concept is that creativity flourishes in an in a atmosphere of freedom. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Planet Shivers Podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers. And on this episode, I'm really excited to have on Angelo Rivera. He and I went to ESU together for a brief time. Our paths crossed a little bit. And before we get any deeper in the show, I want to thank Luke who is Buddy of the Pod, for putting this together. It's Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. So, my... I was thinking that normally, Angelo, I have a big list of notes and things that, that I prepare for each episode. Okay. And this one's a little bit different. Um, because our paths cross briefly at ESU. And the, the first thing that I think about coming up to today was your play Tea Leaves. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I know it's way back. <laughs> it is. But when Luke brought all this up to me, that was the first thing that came came to mind. That was my first time getting very deep in theater. Uh, I was directing 10,000 Cigarettes and going by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. Um, so it's a loaded question. Okay. And we could start wherever you like. But um, <laughs> what have you been up to since then? <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, I suppose that that is a loaded question. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little further out than, uh, than into college. But, yeah. Um, after uh, leaving ESU, I, uh, I tried to stay involved in theater. Um, sort of fell into performing at uh, the Shawnee uh, mm-hmm. and all the while supported myself uh, thanks to uh, history in the construction field. Okay. So it wasn't really, um, you know, I got to continue my art by, by participating in community theater and, and keep, you know, things moving forward by, by working. Um, and all the while, um, you know, trying to trying to find the next interesting thing to do, try new performances. Um, I got involved with, um, in terms of like the the artistic end of things. Um, I helped a few people to uh, launch a, these games called LARPs, live okay. action role plays. Okay. Um, and so um, I'd gotten into that in college, and then. Uh, getting out, everybody was like, oh, you know, this one's closed, where do we go, what do we do, and uh, kind of helped with that, and I've been all over the place after college. Okay, um, most of us. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I realize that that's most people's story, but um, I have lived in the woods without power. I have lived in $300 a night suites. Um, before ESU, I mean, I, I had spent some time literally on the streets in Philly, but okay. um, 
right now I am trying to keep my head down and and just save up a little something because I think everybody is. Yeah. Um, eventually, health caught up to me, so I couldn't work construction regularly anymore. Um, but I still get out to perform once in a while. Um, okay. When uh, when somebody notices that I'm back in the area, I usually get a, a call or a, a message at some point saying, hey, we have to fill a part. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kept me involved and connected with people. But, I don't know, I'm just looking for the next big thing, I guess. I gotcha. <laughs> In terms of theater, um, would you say, do you, do you perform performance or do you prefer writing? What role do you like in, in, in theater? In theater, I, I can't think of a part I don't enjoy. Okay. I, I have, I, I, I love being on stage. I, I love being the center of attention sometimes, <laughs> as everybody does. So right. when I am out there, I try to be the biggest thing on stage, as long as I have that option. You know, you have to respect your directors and whatnot. Right. And when I'm in the director's seat, I try to give anyone who is on stage and under my direction their moments to really be the, the focal point, even mm-hmm. a, you know, no small parts, only small actors thing. Every, anything written, going back to the writing aspect, anything written should be very important to the person directing. Mm-hmm. And so, sort of having dipped a little bit into each part of those fields, I try to help me, I try to use that to help myself when I'm doing one of the other parts. If I'm acting, I know that that director has a life outside of the theater. They have the entire set to worry about, and these three people haven't called, and this one keeps calling, and it is something that sometimes you'd rather just scream. But they are going, all right, can we take it back to this line and try it the way I asked nicely the first time? (laughs) And you just go... I wish I could, but I forgot because <laughs> it's live and, and you're acting. So I have a terrible self-deprecating opinion about my own writing. Okay. Um, tea Leaves is the last uh, thing I really produce that I put out publicly mm-hmm. or, or even, I mean publicly as far as ESU and the mm-hmm. and those were um, which I guess was pretty public um, but that's one of those things I'm trying to get over myself I, I do writing for smaller projects and for smaller groups but um, I try to keep it in, in little bits because I, I get angry about it not being perfect mm-hmm. um which is so so common amongst <laughs> yeah. any type of artist. Yeah. I and and being aware that there's that psychological block helps um, because even if it's if it's not writing, even uh, my uh, I do drawing, paint, digital media, like anything mm-hmm. I can get my hands on, and I know I'm really in a stuck spot when I'm not doing anything. 
mm. because if if nothing's coming out, your your artistic nature goes a bit haywire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, part of keeping myself able to do something is is being involved in each of those parts of theater. Um, I. I, I was set to do some special effects for our last production, um, which uh, was uh, Dracula during uh, during Halloween time, and I had very, very grand ideas, but we had a very limited amount of time, <laughs> so we cut a few things down, and it still wound up being my initial ideas for the special effects, it's just we had to figure out ways that weren't as elaborate as could have been done with more time. Um, and so, uh, it's like any part of the theater that I can get my hands on. Um, okay. I love a good show, and I'm well in the belief that a good show comes not just from writing, acting, directing, special effects. It comes from all of it working together. Yeah. What's the last theater production you were involved in? Um, that was Dracula. Okay. Um, I played Redfield. Okay. And um, that was the uh, production at Shawnee. Um, and before that, it had been a really long break uh, between COVID and, uh, yeah. and I moved around a lot, um, partly because of that. But it was Of Mice and Men. Um, okay. And I was George in that, so. Okay. That was a... That was a pretty good show. <laughs> yeah, were you in those shows? Uh, I wasn't in Of Mice and Men, but I did get to see it, and yes, it was wonderful. Okay, well, you were in Dracula. Yes, I played Dracula. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, Angelo, in addition to totally stealing the show as Redfield, which we all counted on when we... we I mean, we practically picked the show with him in mind for the part. He also mentored me on how to play Dracula to the best of my ability because he understands the mythos of Dracula more than mm. anybody else who was involved in the show. So since I was his chauffeur to yeah. to, <laughs> to and from rehearsals, that was what we did all the talking. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Luke is my eyes. Um, I started going blind when I was leaving high school. Okay. But it got really bad... Um, after after I graduated ESU, I think um, my, my vision started getting uh, between the exposures from my line of work and uh, my diabetes. And, okay. uh, they wound up having to take one out. And the other one is mostly for show. Um, I get by, but I, I, I really can't see. Okay. It's a little trick I play on the world. <laughs> What um what was your line of work that uh, affected it as well? If you don't mind, oh no, you're uh, that's that's reasonable. Um, I worked in construction. Um, I started when I was twelve, um, working on general uh, labor uh, on job sites, mixing cement, carrying things, and um, I stayed employed that way until uh, my late twenties, uh, but. The, um, the diabetes, um, for most people, you know, proper uh, personal protection, eyewear, ear coverage, that's enough to, to get by. But mm -hmm. I wasn't recovering from uh, microfine damage 
Okay. And so I have um, nerve damage from pretty much head to toe. Okay. And um, that's that's a product of um, not being able to heal properly while doing construction. Um, right. Eventually, that came uh, after general labor. I was a, a machine operator, okay. and after that, I was a site supervisor and director. And then, instead of going sort of into safer direction, I went into. Um, lead and heavy materials abatement and removal specialization. Okay. Um, I was the youngest person in the country, it might be in history, I don't know, to be certified to handle uh, heavy metals, uh, heavy metal removal. Um, And that kept my family's business in a float for a lot longer than it would have because those just putting that on the end of a, a construction job um, in areas that were have old lead paint mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you hear things about never buying an old house because of the the paint that right. was that was my specialty I could go in and say that's lead paint and just by walking into the room um, but having done that sort of work my uh, my eyes never properly recovered after mm. certain exposures and um, my my hearing is actually a constant state of tinnitus. <laughs> okay, well, I'm with you in that boat. It just showed up one day and never left. Yep. yep. So I, I could sympathize in that way. So you mentioned earlier um, that you also do a little bit of like visual art and digital stuff. Mm-hmm. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, so we, we had talked about uh, all, all meeting up at ESU... While I was scrambling to get the trifecta from the theater department, the okay. uh, technical directing, production, and performance, okay. um, I had hoped to get a second major in uh, fine arts with a mm-hmm. focus in mixed media. Okay. You were going to wear them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the fine arts building was my playground. Yeah. Um, when we had projects and we couldn't get into the theater as was often the case people would find me because Mm -hmm. I knew how to get in (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I wound up with every 400 level art class available at East Stroudsburg University it was in the art building except for the music department I took it Um, I've tried instruments I can only sing when I'm drunk at karaoke. (laughs) But in terms of fine arts, um, they changed the requirement when I went in because I hadn't started with the idea to get multiple majors. I just had time and I was already there and I was doing it. I needed a 100 level art history and a 200 level art history to get them the degree. So I told them, I'm leaving in one month. <laughs> and I did. I didn't, I didn't stick around for two extra classes. I didn't uh-huh. pay them for four extra semesters or right. however it is because of the way you have to wait for the classes. Yeah. Um, but I, I have always had art 
in my life, mm-hmm. and when that expanded to include theater and, and so many other things, it was uh, uh, really second nature. Okay. But um, I, I do have the experience and, and sort of the um, the classes that, that uh, cover most of the fine arts. Gotcha. What what kind of art did you enjoy going into? Um, like, what got you into art? Was there any particular pieces or maybe a particular artist that really grabbed you? Um, absolutely. Okay. And it's it's hard to say where the, the interest really started. I got, of course, um, a lot of positive feedback with artistic endeavors growing up. So mm-hmm. very, very young, it was always pushed that, hey, you're drawing, hey, art and art products are mm-hmm. a part of our household and our lives. Um, and that came from my mother working at the Crayola factory. Okay. And so she'd bring home products and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I always had the access to it. And then from there, um, I'm, I mean, I'm a 90s kid. Cartoons were my life. Yeah. Um... Every day after school, plopped down, watched a couple things, you know, did other stuff too, but mm-hmm. we had to follow their schedule, unlike now where you can put on your entire season of whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the I really feel like there was a, a renaissance in cartoon work during that era, and so the, uh, the exposure to heavy line art was one of my first and when I showed in elementary school that I had an understanding of line weight representing curvature and shadow they had me tested okay. <laughs> um, and I have I have a 149 GIQ which is uh, I think eight points over the general registry into like genius level but the, the, the big thing was I cared about art. <laughs> I wanted to do everything because there was an art to it. And so it, it really started with cartoons. Okay. <laughs> and I think to build on what you're saying at that time period, because we're kind of in the same age range. Yeah. One thing that I can appreciate looking back at it is there were... Uh, plethora of new cartoons coming out but the old ones were also still on tv too yes i could cut in the same day i could watch a new episode of dragon ball z and then later on watch tex avery exactly exactly we we had that golden era of they didn't know what they were going to make money on yeah so they shoved everything at us um and just the versatility of, of that art um, is, is something that I think people are respecting and, and appreciating more with more time um, mm-hmm. now that we see cartoons being not just an adult media overseas, but a, an all-the-time adult media. I was just having that uh, this conversation with a friend of mine. They're like, oh, it's so cool that that's changed. And then I reminded them that there are written into an episode cigarette commercials 
in the Flintstones and Jetsons. Yeah. They took them out, but the original run, they just walk around the corner for the next scene, and they're smoking a pack of cigarettes for their commercial, and then they continue the show. It was never intended that cartoons be for kids, but then the glorious 80s market happened. Okay. And we were given children's cartoons because kids wanted toys, because parents weren't spending money on that stuff. They were spending money on kids. <laughs> right. Hmm. Yeah, and that's... it's the, You bring that up. I can recall jokes within the Looney Tunes me not getting yeah. as a kid. <laughs> like, what does he mean, no, none for me, I'm driving? What is that? What? what? <laughs> so, that is just another little line of proof. Yeah. that. Um, so, in terms of the 80s, though, that was interesting thought. And I'd like to run sure. with it a little bit. Um, so, there was always a toy to go with a cartoon. Yes. And that, car, uh, that commercial for that toy was conveniently placed in the commercial break for that cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I mean, I can remember Russian Home, because all the best shows were at 3, 3.30, and 4. Yeah, and God, God forbid you were the last kid on the bus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, was it, was cartoons as well as growing up around art, did it, did it, tend to sculpt you in the kind of art that you decide to go to make? I think it definitely did. Um, I can remember trying to put out art that the kids in my class wanted. I figured that out really early. I just asked them what they wanted me to, to draw. And my my style, if you could call it that, as a, as a kid, was was cartoon or or video game, you know, almost uh, exclusively. It was oh, I'll draw that, but it looks like it came out of this or right. from this show. And I always wanted to put out like a like comic books that people could take or things mm-hmm. for them to to go home with. Um, and then I really fell into three-dimensional medias okay. and making little sculptures or, or things that people could take the jewelry and that um, it was sharing the art sharing the, the that experience and somewhere around middle school when they were making us try more things like in terms of learning about techniques and styles I I, I it wasn't that I, I wasn't interested. I got very excited mm-hmm. about you know changing art, n- new art, something different. And I found that my my style changed a lot when I started painting, okay. because it, it had to. Um, the paints that we give students are a travesty and a joke. Okay. And elaborate a little oh, bit more. You you can technically make a um, a perfectly reasonable paint the, the same way that the Dutch Renaissance did some egg white and some some proper uh, dyes, mm-hmm. but the materials that are typically purchased for schools need to be lowest bulk 
purchase available. So quality mm-hmm. kind of comes around to it. And I didn't learn until a lot later that I was painting with cheap paint. And mm-hmm. so there's issues of um, uniform drying, um, uh, blending issues when you can't uh, allow that the, the paint has already separated or, or begun to, to uh, cure. Because okay. certain paints don't actually dry, they, they oxidize. Okay. Um, and I, I had fallen in love with painting when I sold my first painting in middle school. Okay. What was it of? Um, it was, <laughs> it was a, uh, a couple of farmers okay. with, a, with a video recorder mm-hmm. and uh, two cows coming down out of a spaceship. Okay. Nice. Um, and it was it was in a uh, uh, a commercial pop um, style, and a we we did art shows at my, at my school. It was a pretty, I went to very small schools my entire mm-hmm. life, and and so we I was in an, another art show, and it had gotten a, a first place ribbon, but then some one of the judges came by and asked you know if. I was interested in selling the piece, and I was like, I, I, I'm an entrant, and I'm not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, well, I will give you $300 for this picture if I can take it home and, and keep it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, okay, um, this is the least amount of work I've ever had to do for $300. Not that I wasn't familiar with earning my own money at the time, but, but for my art, that was a yeah. mind-blowing experience that someone wanted something that I had created. You know, maybe not a 100% original idea, but a painting of this concept mm. earned me recognition. And I don't know if it was the sort of regularity. Like I said, these were small schools, so I got first-place ribbons for a lot of stuff that probably might not have deserved that much of a praise you know it wasn't earth shattering or anything but the difference between a school event where people have to go by and give you a set number of points and somebody wins Mm -hmm. it's way different than somebody liking something and giving you money for it Mm -hmm. and that is what i learned way (laughs) back then after that every so often i'd find something that I could interest someone in and sell, but I, I never really got into like having an Etsy store or or an art like shop like like that. Mostly because I got disillusioned by the whole earning money for my art thing. Hmm. <laughs> um, not because I wasn't making money on it, and not because I I had made money on it and it it stopped because I I I wasn't making things, and it's because. I had been making my own things for a different uh, project and I had seen something someone else had done for, for the same thing and I asked about, you know, oh, hey, those are really neat. What would I, ha- I you know, if, if I got one? And I had probably known this person seven or eight years, uh, been to their wedding, all of these things. And I got the the flat, this is what I sell them for. And I was like, wow, that's... 
I, I was more interested in what you made than like buying something and it, it mm-hmm. felt it, it kind of crushed that aspect and I was like I don't I can never feel like art has a proper value anymore unless it's what you want to pay me for it right. and you can't make money in the real world that way it I mean you, you could hope it would be great to find a, a patron or some philanthropist who just likes your art yeah but generally speaking you do have to have a bottom line and most of the art is lowest common denominator, bottom line production, even from artisans. Mm-hmm. And I can't do it. I, I just, I can't. I would love to sell my art. I would love to sell, you know, just nice things that I make. But when it, when it comes to balancing a bottom line, there's a, there's a logical part of my mind. And... If I ever felt like I was cheating somebody, it would just kill me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there, there's no, there's no clear road to that number. Yeah. Um, there have been people that I have given art to that would. I mean, it's easy to say, but I mean it. You know, there's people yeah. I've given art to that. W- would rival any sale of any number mm-hmm. because of the response of it being given as a gift or right. how much they enjoyed it. Yeah. And like you're saying, like we d- didn't exist before we came along to create it. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's awesome. But to have somebody else love it. Yeah. That, that is something completely more like yeah. it, it's the next level endorphin rush that that yeah. makes and I, and I can't say it for for everyone but I, I know that 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 truly makes me feel good and that's the part of art that that draws me out when I am on the stage and I have just depleted my entire oxygen supply mm-hmm. laughing because that is what I was told to do and I hear the the response of of a stilled crowd or or the like a pin drop in a full auditorium. Mm-hmm. There is an otherworldly, emphatic, psychological joy mm-hmm. <laughs> that just washes through you, and and that's why I can't pick a single art. I treat mm-hmm. everything like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, an art um, my first attempt at college was before East Strasburg okay. and that was at Drexel University in Philadelphia um, and that was for engineering and the things I learned in engineering were just once again how much I love the art of it mm-hmm. um, they're of course it's very similar to ESU there were numerous classes that opened with a you're going to need to know this because in the real world, this is what you'll be making your money off of, and the 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 crushing reality, grindstone, yada yada yada. But through all of that, keeping in mind that you know you're you're here for something you love, um, I I learned so much from from that school, but I didn't pass a single class. Mm-hmm. I I. Had never been out of small ponds, 
and I I took a a huge medical dive and so I came back around to ESU said I have no idea what I'm doing with my life Mm -hmm. and uh, Stephanie French was at the uh, you know check out our department and I got the, uh, the, the the dog and pony show and uh, next thing I know, I'm hiking up that hill thinking to myself, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> to the fine arts building, you're saying. <laughs> to the fine yeah, arts. <laughs> before it e- so before you even began participating, you knew. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a problem? They call the problem solvers. Taxes got you down. Wasping your crawl space. Term paper blues. Migrating implants. Call the problem solvers. Because after all, what's a problem but an opportunity to disguise as a stripper having a seizure on your boat? Mouse in your house. Or need a cheap flight to Tucson. We are the problem solvers. When um, you got into the theater at ESU, what were some of the early things that really struck you that... that made you really get into it more to the um, point of eventually writing a play that was shown right um what my uh, since I had since I had come from a uh, in my mind sort of a a, a fall um I, I had paid and invested a lot into my my first college um I had mm-hmm. done the work to, to pay for it right that was a big thing I, I didn't have outside support um my my family was keeping the house together with with each paycheck on a on a five day to to seven day work week Mm -hmm. schedule and i used my part to pay for that college Mm -hmm. and so i approached the theater very um with with a with some apprehension i i I didn't i thought you know engineering would have made me money I, I love theater, but what am I going to do with it? Yeah. And so walking into anything with a mindset like that will keep you at a distance. Yeah. And so for a long time, I was the guy in the back at stage two meetings, take notes, or would be drawing something instead of paying any attention mm-hmm. because those meetings were a joke. <laughs> um, but then... When my other applicable talents started to become known, I was drawn into more activities. And it's, oh, you know how to uh, put the, the stage together. We can put you in the technical class and, and you know, start there, which was really just forced labor. <laughs> um, oh, you've been sketching the rehearsals every rehearsal because you have nothing better to do so you know this part somebody dropped out mm-hmm. would you like it <laughs> oh sure mm-hmm. um and then you know you're you're in rehearsals oh you you have this background or that background yeah why well we can use this and we can use that and that very first show i went from um not even assistant stage manager. We had two excellent people in the department at the time competing for stage management like roles. Okay. And so I was just 
a stagehand, back tech help. But I was there for every rehearsal. I was through the, the entire process. And so I was given the first part when someone dropped. And mm-hmm. little by little, it was found that, you know, I could cover somebody's ass if something fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, the shortest amount of time I had to work a script, I went from um, coming in to get the stage set up to operating the sound to operating the sound and lights to being in the show over one weekend mm-hmm. and I had two days to, to learn the script now that's a, a short but it's still two days to go right. from that to, to yeah. up and that is what I did at ESU I think I might have gotten parts by auditioning three or four times every other time it was just proof that I had skill and was dedicated. Um, I get squeezed in. Um, I was also known for, for the person that things would happen to. Um, <laughs> it's generally not my fault. They just happened. Uh, pieces of set falling. Um, pieces of set not being there anymore because of the, it was moved incorrectly. Um... I, I fell into the vom that one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I can be a walking disaster uh, <laughs> if I'm if I'm careful. So <laughs> there were there were points at at ESU where I kind of came on you know that's fine he, he won't break. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, but it that that really was my role at ESU. I wasn't. A leading man, I I stepped in and and could cover parts, uh, and while that wasn't exactly what you want, you know, if you're there for the the performance, especially, there's some part of you that goes, "I'm the star, mm-hmm. I want to be the top billing, or at least have my name like not in the squinched part at the end." Right. I could not have been more wrong as a student. Doing everything now where there are situations where in a wild case and they need someone and it could be paid I have far greater likelihood than most of the people that they had selected as their groomed leading men slash women's or whatever because they totally didn't do that (laughs) um (laughs) I, I know I have a greater breadth of uh, versatility and talent because I did the work. <laughs> so, while we're on the topic, I've had a number of people on the show who were friends and who've all, we've all gone hand-hand through the same college and had a lot of different experiences, but a lot of the same. And I'm... I'm not after, like, dirt and, you know, anything like that. But what I have found over the years of doing this show is that um, nobody really has anything all that great to say. Um, I, and you can jump in and correct me, but I've found that we all have, and, and Luke, you were, you were there too, we can share moments that were really great. Yes. We could yeah. think about this, that, or the other, 
and it'll bring back a good memory. Um, I wouldn't want to change any of it. I I enjoyed my little weird backdoor entrance and right. backdoor exit yeah. to and from the theater department. <laughs> but um, and I was never a theater major, right? So the stakes weren't as high for me as it were for some of you guys. Um, but it seems to me that the overall opinion, now that we're 10 years or more removed from our time there, is shaky. Yeah. It's shaky. And um, what was your experience to that end? You know, um, of it being just a little... Uh, and Luke, feel free to jump in if you yeah. feel like it. Um, well, on on my end, with the whole ups and downs of the collegiate experience, and specifically with, with ESU, mm-hmm. um, I, I've spoken with a lot of alumni, like uh, probably very similar to, to you have, but um, I, I find that it, it is. It's usually commiseration about the school and camaraderie about the moments where we did X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. We had great times. The school was there at, because it was there. Or, even worse, it was the antagonist in the okay. background. Okay. Um, I, I had a decent amount of time with each of the um, the teachers in the uh, theater department while I was there. Um, I had actually switched around for... Ne- never because I didn't feel like I was being given enough time or, or counseling, um, but at one point or another I had each of the three uh, main teachers there um, as my, as my uh, advisor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different... Approaches they they all handled themselves rather differently and, and not just in the uh, comedic we get caricatures from this experience or mm-hmm. this memory that has you know contorted and twisted over time into this god awful breakdown nine times out of ten I mean I've seen worse but I'm a bad judge of <laughs> those sorts <laughs> okay. of things. Um, the things I would say I took away most from my time at ESU is that there are, even the people that I don't talk to regularly, they, they share the idea that there were a lot of wonderful techniques and incredible information shared within the theater, but the professional aspect that they seemed to uh, demand or call upon or or um, even use against us at points and and I have a couple specifics on that okay. one which is why I saved it for this um, that that really it, like I said it, it shapes the idea of oh ESU theater department it was such it, it did nothing for me or it was such crap but I loved <laughs> I loved being in the theater like right. you loved it there you can have you can have it both ways. You can. Mm-hmm. It, it, people are, are that way. Um, but like the, um, the 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 level of professionalism. Um, there was one performance where 
it was a, a very massive deal. We were going in actual historic, um, like, recreationist style, uh, the whole thing. Very big. So I had someone in helping, and despite not missing any cues, not being off a single beat or line, I had someone not from the theater department burst in, yell at them, and drive them out from backstage while they were they were helping. Mm-hmm. And before my and, and before my scene, I I go up to the director at the time and I say that this is completely unacceptable behavior. And they turn it around on me, say that you can't bring someone in and, and be uh, drawing away and, and distracting. And I was like, do you have any idea what we've even gotten done today? You're welcome. Mm-hmm. And you should know that if this was a professional performance, I'd be walking out right now. And you don't have someone who can replace me by tomorrow night. So I think I'd, I'd reconsider what I consider professionalism. Because I have a real fucking job. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. I do this because I love theater. And I, I went, I did my scene, I leapt off of the stage. I was supposed to do a costume change, and I did. But I left it right there right. on the floor, and I and I went chasing after my friend, <laughs> the person I actually cared about in the situation. Um, and there were apologies around. I never had to, because I was in Rome. Then uh, a one of the other teachers, uh, professors. Um, it had. Uh, it was just before an audition for the Laramie Project. Okay. And I had gotten incredibly devastating news. Mm-hmm. Um. Only to walk in and be pushed to the front of the audition process, and in asking for a moment to collect myself, I was scolded on. Uh, my, and I don't believe that it was intentional. I believe that it was an oversight because the the follow up was was laughing and that, but I I was not in the right space. So I did my auditions and they were not very good. It was very single note, and there was reason. I got a call back from that teacher, and she asked if I was actually okay. And how that was. And so, you know, sometimes people make mistakes. It, it goes back and forth. But the difference there is the director of the first show felt that they were in the right the entire time. The apology was a placation necessary because if you don't, and, and students often don't realize it, they have a lot more power. And I, I hate to be the type of person to say, oh, they were mean, do something about it. Mm-hmm. But if you if you don't, you get the sort of rampant nepotism that most of the ESU alumni that I talk to that say it was crap are, are affixed to. Am I, yes. I mean, on this one, I think, Luke, you, you seem Absolutely. to... Absolutely, <laughs> yes. So nepotism in terms of other students or... We had a sort of 
shifting hierarchy within mm-hmm. the theater department. Um, some of us were the lurkers in the shadows, mm-hmm. the, the secret hand that moved things along, while others were the desperate masses attempting to get a non-speaking role on the stage because they needed to get that foot in the door and maybe they could then be the golden few. (laughs) The favorites. It didn't matter the show. It didn't matter the intention, uh, the writing behind it, the the style that the piece was going to be presented in. These... At least three, and sometimes expanding to six or so, individuals were guaranteed, whether they auditioned or not, and this was proven, to receive leading positions despite an otherwise complete miscasting. And this is with the utmost respect to any director and their ability to choose how they would like something characterized. Bad casting. <laughs> gotcha. But that, that was something we always sort of joked around about. You know, are you in with the popular clique? Um, but as, as much of a joke as it was, it was it really happened. Mm-hmm. We had to joke about it, otherwise you'd, you'd cry. <laughs> well, you know what? In talking about it, I can clearly see that both of you it didn't it didn't smother your love for the art because you both continued to perform and be creative. Yep. So I, and that's that's important because there are a lot of um, artists of any medium, any genre who do get smothered or get the wind taken out of their sails by. There's so many ways. So yeah, well, that, that when, you, when you're, you need to so yeah. many discouragements that you need to escape mm-hmm. on your path. Mm-hmm. It's and it's always easy to say you know don't let one thing get you down or you know keep keep pushing on with that. But when when you put so much emotion and and art is it's an emotional thing. No matter if it's you know you're you're just absentmindedly doodling or you're getting your magnum opus out onto the stage, it, it's it's an emotional thing. So to to ever hear that you know to to something that would take the wind out of your sail, something that might deter you in the slightest, can stop someone from pursuing art, and that should just not happen. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Let's bring it back to art. I'm sure. curious to ask, um, being that you're in, you involve yourself in theater, visual art, very wide range of things, is there any commonalities to your approach or your process? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess the, the, the commonality... Um, I love storytelling. Okay. You know, and uh, the idea that a, a picture tells a thousand words, I, I've never felt like that's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some, sometimes a, a picture can say so much more than that. Um, but 
when when I when I'm making something for myself, I will wait until something inspires me. I can go for months without touching a piece of paper, mm-hmm. but when I sit down and I put something down for me, that is something that my my mind needs to decompress, to, to get things out or whatever. But when I'm making something to show or to present, I, I become um, an absolute tryhard. Okay. Um, I think about the theme then if it's a, a, a any sort of a visual piece there's the uh, are the colors in use uh, congruent with the theme uh, is there something that could detract from the clear message because while the second the second art leaves the hands of the artist it becomes infinitely interpretable mm-hmm. but if I'm going to make something I want you to know what idea I'm trying to get out I don't want it to be confusing. I want you to feel whatever you feel from it. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to steer that feeling. I, I do believe that making art for art's sake, you know, pretty for pretty's sake, is something we had whipped out of us in, in art classes. You don't just mm-hmm. make something pretty because it's pretty. But the, the truth of the matter is, if you want something pretty, you should make something pretty. And if pretty will sell, then as a professional, you can sell your art. Right. Don't make pretty to sell it. Make pretty mm-hmm. because that's what you want to make. And pretty, uh, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder um, kind of stuff. But, you know, there's, there's, there's so many just beautiful and interesting uh, styles, techniques, and and art movements um, in that that interweave with each other. I mean, the, the the Renaissance and Reformation wasn't just about painting; it was about everything. And mm-hmm. to say that's not true about every art movement, anytime there is a movement, it, it starts with the people. So it's not their products; it, it, it's all of the the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so the I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> that that one got out of got away from me. The commonality into what art. Right. The the, the commonality. Um it, it's when when I'm when I'm creating, I I guess I should say I start with what my end goal is. Whether mm-hmm. it's building a house you know starting with the designs and then my materials and building up or why am i writing this dialogue between two guys in a perkins mm-hmm. you know the, the there there has to be something that i want to accomplish because i am goal oriented um i have a very sporadic and creative capacity and and that's kind of the the off the chain loose me, mm-hmm. um, but especially if it's just on my own time, I find it very difficult to do anything unless I have an idea of what it's gonna be. Art is organic and it changes, and that's true about performance art, yeah. visual medias. 
so it might not end the same way, but if I want to start a picture that's demonstrating um, the contrast of light and darks using weighted elements, mm-hmm. I'm going to start probably with an idea of like, this is all going to be really bright and this is all going to be really dark. Mm-hmm. If I know I want to do a show to make people think about small decisions in their lives that have big consequences, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm going to start the writing. If it doesn't come through in the end, then I've, you know, maybe I won't keep the peace, but I will have written those thoughts out and my feelings on this subject, this goal. Um, And I find that it, it gives the purpose that art can sometimes feel lacking in. Okay. I I love stereotypes because they're around for a reason, but I hate stereotypes because they're all based on these little bits of, of truth and the idea of so many people ignorantly looking to art as you know, this this is oh, you know, it's it's art. Mm-hmm. It's always bugged me. Okay. I I it, it seems vapid or shallow, and I don't. It's difficult to balance between art is for everyone, and why are you wasting these materials and my time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. I, I don't like to waste time, even if I'm making art, and and, and so it, I think the, the joining factor, no matter what I'm working on, is that there has to be a clear reason, a good purpose to put that out. Mm-hmm. So do you have, um, do you do any, <clears throat> when you're working on a painting, let's say, um, any of this is definitely even applies to performance as well, as I'm thinking about the question. Um, how much of it is your plan and is do you in your um, your process have do do you improvise at all within that plan it took me a lot of running into the wall to learn that every plan should include the part that says be ready to improvise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I can grab billions of examples probably of just in, in my own experience mm-hmm. needing to improvise. Whether it's, um, you know, like, like a painting, you don't know if your oils are going to have separated when you come back the next day and you're going to have to remix that perfect shade of just off red and it's never going to look right because it's dried there the the sample you had is destroyed you have to improvise Mm -hmm. and maybe you find a better red and maybe you don't like everything you touch after that day but it happens and you have to get to the end of it the other thing that I did learn in the, the class setting when it comes to art, deadlines 
are good. There is a point where you have to be ready to step away, and there is a point where you have to be ready to put every last thing into it so that you can step away. Mm -hmm. um, but any plan that doesn't include be ready to improvise is a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. I... <sighs> okay. I am a dungeon master for Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. I create little worlds for people to waste a couple hours in once or twice a week every month. And nothing has taught me about improvising more than that, but I have used it in application to everything else that I do. Okay. Because my job there is to write a story, then assume that my four to six main characters are not going to listen to me. <laughs> and then I have to make it both challenging to everyone there on a mathematic level, interesting to everyone there on a storytelling level, and recognize enough of the social interaction and setting that I don't steamroll the whole group by saying, this is what happens next. Right. Um, as in uh, something we, we kick around in, in that sort of um, field is uh, your players will never do what you want. And um, if you give them an option, they will choose every other one. <laughs> um, but it teaches you to adapt. It, 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 at least it should. It should teach you how to adapt. And if you don't use the lessons in pretty much every other part of your life to improve what you're not doing at the time, you're not being efficient. <laughs> right. I understand what you mean. And there's things you could apply to real life from anything. Oh, yeah. If you think of it that way. Yeah, we're, uh, the, in, in my whole household, we're big, uh, big proponents of um, video games, you know, mm -hmm. that the that was brought into our house because when I was growing up I had hand-eye coordination issues. Okay. So they said, let's try video games, it's a new thing. And that never left my life. Um, <laughs> so all the kids around, they all play video games, but it's not just about getting your hand-eye coordination together, that's about problem solving, that's about hearing a good story. Mm -hmm. um, just like anything else, you have to be careful what games you're giving to who, and what shows you're letting them watch but it, it uh it, it's a it's all everything you should be learning from everything mm. um but especially like change when when you're doing an, an art if you learn about adapting one thing that should apply to so many others um Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> so what what kind of creative things have you been up to lately? Um, I I, I keep myself busy with um, a couple of games um, each week. Um, mm -hmm. I run for people, and um, I guess October was the last time I was in a show. Uh, but I try to let the uh, the higher ups at Shawnee know when I'm back in the area. Okay. Um, and 
right right now I'm I'm looking at trying to find a space for um, for a studio. Okay. Um, I'm I'm working with uh, an advocacy group, uh, and they they sometimes do small business loans. So I'm hoping to to figure out exactly what they can make available, um, so that you know just the next step in my life. <laughs> cool. I'm gonna pause this for a second. Sure. Swedes are special people. They live longer than anyone and never go to war. Why? Because for thousands of years they have unlocked the secrets of the universe inside themselves. Now comes this special woman, Madam Eva from Sweden, to unlock your secrets. Call this number, use your push-button phone, and she will give you a personalized reading about you, your life, love, success, and future. Call now, Madam Eva, $1.95 a minute. So, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you spent a little bit of time on the street in Philly. Yes. Um, that don't sound much fun. But it, you, it wasn't. You, you tell me. <laughs> um, it was a. It goes back to the the time when I was in school uh, at at Drexel, and it it probably sounds completely bizarre it's like you were in classes in school how were you spending your nights mm-hmm. not indoors <laughs> right. um after freshman year um and and dealing with the uh the medical issues that had been affecting me then i now, i'm sorry to jump in was this the medical issues you speak of was it a product of your diabetes yes okay um when when I was in school, we had just started on um, one of the earliest um, openly available insulin pumps. Okay. And at that time, it was running on two AA batteries. It mm. had no uh, connected broadcast like the, the current Bluetooth sort of things were. Okay. And I will openly say this any day of the week that the company that I, I used and could was the only one that we could get or afford at the time mm-hmm. um, I've been a part of seven class action lawsuits with them okay. they're not good okay not <laughs> said um, yeah so my, my health had been had been giving me some trouble and I had arranged a second, you know, I will go back, fix some of my freshman year stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did everything that the school required. And then housing came around, and because it had taken so long to get uh, processing for a, a medical excuse as to having so many um, issues with, with classes, um, my housing got delayed. Mm-hmm. And so I had no housing through the school. They t- they kick you out of the dorms after freshman year. And I was trying to get this paperwork worked out. And so a friend of mine let me crash at his apartment for a couple days until one of his roommates there was like, we're not supposed to have guests more than two nights in a row. Mm-hmm. I talked to the... He talked to the... the the head up and they're like well why why do you keep coming here and staying here and I was like well I'm waiting for 
my housing to be approved. You guys haven't, I, I haven't, I have nowhere to go. And they're like, well, I will, he said he would look into that, but I couldn't stay there. So for the next week, while well, I waited, and, and that's why I, I kind of glossed over it before. Living on the street was not like months at a time figuring out how to survive off of trash cans and, and the mm-hmm. like. It was, I found a decent unoccupied corner that wasn't going to get bothered until the next school morning, and I slept. Mm-hmm. And go back to somebody else's apartment during the day and get a shower, you know, whatever. I never had, never was lacking in money for food. But even if you have cash on hand, people won't let you in a door to spend the night somewhere necessarily. And it wasn't like I had cash on hand to be renting a an overnight for a week. Right. That was right. that would have been ridiculous in, in uh, on campus city Philly. Um so yeah, about about a week I was And I just I wanna just jump in and say that even though you had some amenities to you, I don't feel that it makes it any less any better. You still had no place to go for your yeah. nights. Yes. I, you know, uh, and, and that's that's sucky, man. You know, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I believe in learning from every experience and that what hasn't killed me yet only keeps me going. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've, I, I, I like to believe I've had a pretty interesting life because I have done incredible things that, that, not everybody gets a, a chance to, whether it's connections or, or money or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've also, I, I do believe that I have suffered. I, I, I hate to be the type to woe or, or dwell on it. But compared to the average person, if we do the same comparison, and it's like my life was pretty good compared to the average person, I've dealt with some more things than most people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's what this whole thing is about, is these are gathering these stories. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Now we'll move on to the hot topic of art and the people who look at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so refresh me, Luke. It was um, interpretation. Yes, interpretation of what meaning, if any, you put into your art and when it's appropriate to do that, and what meaning your audience puts in, uh, takes from it, and when it's appropriate for them. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll start quickly. Yeah. Which is, um, I realized within the past couple of years that, and it might sound crazy, but I'm, I'm okay with it, that um, the meaning in my art is subconscious. I um, I will find the meaning in my own pieces months, if not years later, where I'll look at it and go, Jesus, okay, I see, Albert, gotcha. <laughs> um, because my process, specifically with visual art, is so in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested to ask you about if there's improvisation in, in your work 
because I find a lot of it in mine. Um, there are things, especially with portraiture and things like that, where you want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And I'm a hard ass about getting those things right for me. And then I leave room in there to play. Mm -hmm. And specifically those moments are in the moment. I'm not, it's just coming out and I'll figure it out later. Right. Because mm -hmm. the ideas are coming so hard and so fast that it would slow me down to think about it. You know? Oh, I gotta get it out. So I absolutely understand. An idea will come to me months or years later for me to look at my own art, but in the meantime, I have learned to em embrace a little bit of what somebody else might think, mm -hmm. and I'll hold on to the ones that I feel are worth holding on to. Yeah. Well, the other ones, it wasn't for them. Right. This piece of art wasn't for them. Right. Um, I used to take a little a personal affront to someone who either didn't get it or I felt at the time wasn't even trying. Like, meet me halfway. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm pleased to have let go of that a little bit. Um, and it's made everything a little bit better. It's made the work better. It's made my experience of public showings way better because I don't have that sword dangling over my head of all these other thoughts mm -hmm. that I don't really have much control over. So, my approach has gotten more fertile since I've let go of what now I look at as, yeah. oh, I was being pretty petty. Well, I, I, I love that. I, I, as you were explaining everything, the, the idea of, of reaching a certain age, or, or not even age, just experience mm -hmm. with, uh, with when, when you know it's your art. You know, some, some people pick up art or, you know, they're a, a hobbyist, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Some people are, are strictly and purely dedicated with the, the greatest creative um, flow and intentions, and it's just a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but this, this idea that eventually you let go of the, the critiques uh, or, not even, I'm talking about even technique, it's just a, oh, I don't know why you would paint that. Yeah. It used to grade on me, but it's like you said. Um, it, if you if you look at it and you don't get it, then it's not for you. Right. But I also have come to find that the second I'm done with my art, I too am an observer now. Yeah. The art is done at least, at least with a a standing uh, standard medium. You know, live performance. The, the show is eventually over, so yes, that is done too. And I, I can't reflect on that the same way I can reflect on a painting or, or a picture or a drawing of, of mine. Um, but the second it's done for, for me, um, I, I, like I said, I need that intention at the beginning. What am I going to be making? Mm -hmm. Why am I making it? Okay, let's go. Once it's done, it's out of my hands and I can reflect and say, if this... If this meant nothing to me, what might it mean to me? Because right. I've had to, um, I mean, my my pursuit of art really started in around middle school. So mm -hmm. I had other classmates where we were all learning that you can't just say, I like it. Mm -hmm. The teacher's going to make you mention something about right. the piece. And I had to learn that not everybody's going to understand why I painted 
a, a kiwi that was a fruit on the inside. Uh-huh. You know, you paint some weird stuff. I like weird things. Oh, you, why aren't, why isn't this one weird? Well, I decided to not paint something weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, as an artist, I make this plan, I make my art, and I put it out, and I... It's out there. It's mm-hmm. like letting go on opening night of a show for a director. At this point, yeah. they're going to listen to what you yelled at them 50 times, or they're not. Right. They're going to hit their mark because they've hit it every other time, or they're not. Right. They're going to drop that line that they dropped every other time, or they're going to get it, and everyone else is going to forget because they haven't had to respond for an entire <laughs> rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It's out of your control, just like once the painting is up, anyone who looks at it is now getting, hopefully, the emotion and the intention that you poured into it, mm. and they are allowed to then interpret it in a unique way because no two people's brains quite brain the same. Right, <laughs> right. And, and, and once I shed that prejudice against hearing other people's opinions... Um, there were a handful of great ones that's, that come through where um, you, I've been moved by how a handful of people may have seen certain things. Yeah. And that goes back to our conversation, you know, where sometimes a reaction can be worth more than a million dollars. Yeah. Now I haven't had a million dollars to try that. Uh, right, we can we can try but, it in theory. But, yeah, <laughs> but in theory, I, it sounds good. Right. You know? Um. And 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 that really is the thing. Like, in our lives, especially right now, I feel mm-hmm. like the bottom dollar and tomorrow's rent are on everyone's mind. Even yeah. the people who own houses, even the, the, the people who run large businesses and have been for years, they are, they are worried about money right now. And to find a way to get a little something while you're creating an outlet for yourself and for everyone. I mean, once it's the piece is, is presented, it's for the world. Mm-hmm. And not worrying about, you know, if that's the thing that's going to sink you because you took some time to be artistic, because you took some time to enjoy art. I don't see that ever happening, but it's the kind of things we've written dystopian warning novels about. (laughs) Like, you take this out of our lives and it's not just the artists that fall apart it's the world because even if someone doesn't consider themselves an artist they know what they like and if you can get a little bit more of what you like in your life because someone is willing to make something that exchange is the part i think that's worth more than money yeah yeah and i've i'm a big student of art history and music history and some of the greatest creations came out of some of the hardest times. Mm-hmm. So if there's any silver lining to kind of what we're experiencing now mm-hmm. and I've been around 
many a table who debate, will it get worse? Are we better? When's the pendulum going to swing? We don't really know. And as a creative, I'm going to get what I can out of it as inspiration. Yeah. And be humble enough to say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to get some art out of it. You know? There's a, a stagnancy to complacent living, and I believe very much in triumph through adversity. Um, not so much like you, you, you throw the kid over the, the cliff at the, and if they make their way back, they're worth it. Right. More like, don't cut yourself short because you can survive whatever this is. Mm-hmm. We are secretly scrappy, terrible animals yeah. as human beings. And that's the coolest thing about us because there are so many things in my life that should have killed me (laughs) and i just keep bouncing back right not necessarily better not necessarily in one piece but until i stop bouncing i'm gonna be alive and that is going to fuel my art because if i was just drawing the same Say three things again because I haven't experienced anything harder, anything worse or better because it's all about a disparity. So if my day's going to shit, then somebody out there is having the best day of their life. So at some point, law of averages would suggest that I get my best too. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and that's um oh. You're, we don't realize how resilient we can possibly be. And um, some of us have to experience it more than others, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. Whew, kind of land, kind of had a landing now. Yeah. <laughs> Usually my problem is that I, I get a conversation rolling in circles and it can't stop (laughs) well that just means it's good because we're having to stop and contemplate Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um so with with your um going back to public opinion and and dealing with the 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 outlook of other people looking at our art whether it's in theater or visual art which is what we're covering we're also at the mercy of um, it being a subjective mm-hmm. medium. Somebody comes to see Dracula, and they don't like Dracula. You can do the best performance you want, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going like to matter. <laughs> you know, a piece of art on a subject that somebody may not like, or a medium or a style that somebody may not like, you can be the best there is. And that's like another uh, thing that... For us to keep in mind and and occasionally have to dodge. Yeah. The the, the question um, in, in, I think, any artistic media, when you're approaching something of any level of controversy, and that's from the the lowest step to, to the biggest, you could be as controversial as, you know, casting who you have available into a part that doesn't fit as far out to your 
doing a show that's bringing up sensitive subject matters mm-hmm. and someone will hate it and someone will love it and mm-hmm. it is incredibly subjective and that has for me has always meant that reverence should probably be left to reverent scenarios. Don't get mad at me for joking about something in a comedic scenario. Right. I understand if I drag my art out into the world and try to force it to your vision or, or experience, and at that it, it becomes... I am imposing my opinions and my art on you. Mm -hmm. But if you experience my art and you have no interest, then then that is awesome. I understand that sometimes things aren't interesting to other people. Um, And the fact that they took the time to experience it and it's not their thing, that means a lot to me. That Mm -hmm. that means a, a, a whole lot. Because whether it's because my art is up in a, a gallery or I'm putting on a show or, or anything, you shared that experience with me. Whether you observed my actions or we observed actions together, we experienced something. And to be afraid of a negative experience whether you are the one having the negative part or whether you are being uh, having been made negative towards mm-hmm. well that's just dumb <laughs> we, we we need like I was just saying you know the triumph through adversity every every difference of opinion in art should be embraced instead of demonized yeah and so if they can't embrace it because they're demonizing and you have to embrace their demonization of your art. It is a very difficult and, and, and I would say mature way of thinking, but I'm the one making the decision here. So I get to think it's my most big boy thing of all time. Um, someone else might go around and say, well, if you haven't grown up enough to have the balls to say you're wrong, this is what I meant then that's cool too because I just said I like opinions. <laughs> but that's not how I think. I, I really think that someone walking in and, and going to town while my while my painting is up on the wall just, oh, clearly the tortured artist is, is expressing their angst and their need. And I was like, I spilled the black right there. Yeah. It got too dark. <laughs> like I don't know you you can never predict it either in in the same way looking back on your own work years later can suddenly evoke a new guttural or uh, cognition response yeah that can happen to anybody at any time and and it's it's like saying the right thing at the right moment a picture can take you away and you don't know when it's going to happen. But it blacks bags you on a Sunday and you don't see Monday. <laughs> and, and sometimes just whether somebody loves it or hates it 
sometimes just getting the reaction yeah. is enough of a Just payoff. a reaction. It's like, well, I made you feel something. Mm-hmm. You might want to smash it, <laughs> but I made you feel something. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... um. Everybody's just everybody has a different perspective at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think as creators, as as artists, being being open, because if you're I can't say that if you're not open enough to understand someone else's opinion, then you can't honestly be putting everything into your art. Mm-hmm. But it would at least follow logically that if you're not 100% open, you're not 100% open. And once again, we've talked about all the so many different whys to putting out the art, but why, if you're not putting some emotion into it, why do it? Mm-hmm. And that emotion is going to be raw when it's out there, so maybe I feel bad that you said, you know, my... My portrait sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, that's not a good uh, criticism of the, of the piece, but but two, I made that. Right. Sometimes you're going to feel things, but I think keeping it in mind as the the overarching uh, kind of perception is that we have to accept everyone's going to take it differently. And they might mm-hmm. not like it. And... If you as the creator are putting some amount of heart and soul into it, that will come through too. Mm-hmm. But forgetting whether or not people like it or what their opinions of it are, it's just not going to shine the way that it would. If your heart's not in it. If your heart's not in it. Yeah. And I've seen that from myself. I've walked into gallery and said, give me that back. i got to do some more mm-hmm. things to it. Yeah, I'll not, have it back by opening. Right. Don't worry, I'll yeah. have it back. <laughs> but that's not right, yeah. Yeah. So it it definitely comes through and and you can tell sometimes mm-hmm. when you look at things and they just are a little gray for some reason. Yeah. There's um there was a wonderful exhibit uh, back back at ESU when I was going and a lot of um high concept interpretive sort of uh, pieces and there was one in there and it was literally a dirty toilet the painting okay. effects were to replicate its use and all those sorts of things and the amount of ridicule as it was being prepared and, and put in and I can honestly say that I probably took part in the conversation on the dejective end it was so long ago, I can't remember for sure, but the moment I do remember is seeing the artist in question in there, hunched over, getting the last details of literally, not literally shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, the only reason I saw him there is because I'm leaving the theater at God knows what hour. Right. And he is there making sure that it's perfect for opening. And I was like, there's nobody that says anything else about it. Mm-hmm. At least not around me. 
And <laughs> that respect. <laughs> yeah. So here's a question for you I'd like to hear your opinion on. So it's said that anything can be art. But can anything be art? This is I something like, I, I wrestle I, oh, with. I, oh, no, that's an that's a, a awesome <laughs> question. And I've thought about it before. Mm-hmm. And what I've sort of refined that answer down to is art comes with an intention. And that's, once again, I've repurposed that into my own art where now I need to know what I'm doing and have that intention beforehand because I don't find the joy or, or have any heart to put into it when I just sit down to, to doodle. It, it's getting thoughts out. It's, it's, it's freeing, but it's, that's not art to me anymore. My mm-hmm. art is far more intentional. And I think the difference between saying this toilet is art and that toilet is art is the intention. You can find something and it is beautiful to you in that moment and you want to share that with the world and that is found art. That is object, um, you know, kind of thing. But also that painting uh, of, of that, you know, that little pond with the, the boat, that's for the walls in a hospital. That's not for someone's house because they love your work. Mm-hmm. There's these minute differences, and when art is churned out, you can feel it. And when art is really given the respect, I don't think it matters what shape it started in or even what shape it ends in, as long as it's appreciated as art with the intention of being art. Okay. I follow you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, so that's um, something that I have thought a lot about. And, um, you know, because the more, like I've gone on a kick the past year or so of diving into the big names. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, we know every, every all the big artists, they have a piece or two mm-hmm. that generally everybody knows. And as decades and decades go by, Van Gogh is always Starry Night. Everybody knows Starry Night. They see it and they have enough knowledge to go, oh, Van Gogh. And we all just kind of fall into this painting, this artist. You know, this painting, this style. But like, what's, what's more? They didn't, Van Gogh didn't wake up and paint Starry Night out of nowhere. What's everything that led up to it? And I will say this, which is that our predecessors, our artistic predecessors, have put a lot more blood, sweat, and tears into their work than I see a lot of people doing now. Almost literally. um, Yeah. Several paintings of historical note. I, I, I skipped... The art histories kind of going back to the the ESU <laughs> times. I, I skipped my heart my art histories, but the ones that I, the the one that I did take, I, I really kept and I internalized. And then, because the part about history that I don't do well with is dates and names, mm-hmm. I'm good with concepts. Um, I went ahead and I followed 
art history on my own time, looking at the interesting facts and the practical applications of these movements, um, going all the way back to the discovery of um, latex paints and 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 those sorts of techniques. Uh, that's Which where I started. Is a far more productive way to learn, mm-hmm. based in my opinion. Rather than having date name date name boom blah, 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 blah. yes the, here's the, a test you know right um, the, the the second I learned that most of the names nobody cares about anyway and most of the dates nobody cares about anyway and and I don't I will never knock people who are firm on their historical dates names right, and, and figures good. Yeah, but I. I can't tell you when it happened, but I could do a Rococo painting. Mm. I, I, I know the style. I know what techniques and applications would be used and, and under what medias. I couldn't tell you a single Rococo artist, to right. be perfectly honest. I, I don't... Certain people don't remember basic math because it's not a part of their lives every day. Mm. I don't remember... <laughs> certain painters from certain right. but I've learned those techniques those styles during those movements because the actual product is fascinating and sometimes the people are fascinating but usually they go together and then you remember you know you, you, you remember about the, the ears being cut off and the actual right. like, blood sweat and tears yes. going into these works and now you have uh, you know, this is my totally original OC, Do Not Steal. Mm-hmm. We could probably afford to be a little less coddled in our artistry in this day and age. But that's like complaining that we no longer live in caves. Things are going to progress. Things will get easier. And every generation will assume that the generation before them had it rougher and the generation after has it too good. Yeah, that's completely cyclical. Completely cyclical. But I, you know, when you think about older artistic, you know, um, composers were, were not composing for their fellow man. They were composing for God. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough audience. Oh, so yeah, you're going right. to put a lot of work into that. Um, you know, and the same with artists. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, your talent was, you were directing it at something bigger. Yes, yes. It wasn't necessarily um, the local, I don't want to be cliche or... or Diminish things, but it wasn't the local gallery. It wasn't right. The, you know, you were no. It was yeah, a, if if you got a a piece produced, if you yeah. had it shown, yeah. this was life changing. Yeah. In in the day. Right. Now you know, I, I've I've had pieces in a gallery. Mm-hmm. I've had writing published. I don't bring it up. It's it's just not usually that important. Right. But in a time when writing was done by hand and someone wrote however many hard copies of whatever it was impressive the fact that your words mattered enough to be rewritten the fact that your art deserved to be shown meant that you beat out 
so many other people yeah. to at least impress someone with money. And, and I mean, that's what it came down to, the money or, or authority. Like mm-hmm. you said, most, a, a huge chunk of art was for God. Right. And the other half of all of art was for money. <laughs> right. So, so in your opinion, nowadays, in the 2000s, mm-hmm. the past couple of decades, is it, do you feel that maybe, art, is art, do less people care about art, or is there now more for art and creativity to contend with in terms to be seen? I think it is the competition. Okay. That is really the, the, the environment of art as a universal um, sort of a thing. And it, it might just be my time on the internet, you know, my personal experience. Mm-hmm. But what I have seen is that there are so many options. If I want a, uh, 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 some inspiration for an amazing fantasy character, I barely have to Google and I'm flooded with images. Yeah. I'm flooded with yeah. pictures that even on the worst end took someone time to sit down and say, I want this character's clothes to be white and blue I want their hair to be blonde and I've drawn the same over stylized sword wielding whatever a billion times boom it's been popped out but now you're connected to the rest of the world on the internet so everyone else has done that too everyone else with enough motivation to make someone with blonde hair a white outfit and and, and blue accents Mm -hmm. so it's all there and I didn't have to use the combination of my experiences to produce an original figure to then transpose onto a page so that I could get my representation in a, a medium that I don't have to sit here and explain every time. It's, <laughs> I have a picture now. Yeah. It's bananas that we can just do that on our pocket computer. Because there was a time where it wasn't just, oh, I could sketch that and color it. There was a time where, oh, I could get my charcoal refined down, block that in and paint it, and then add absurdum. It goes all the way back until why did we smear colors on a wall? Was that a real animal or was that the animal we wanted? Mm. Things get easier that is technology that is society as, as its quintessence and that has a huge effect on art mm-hmm. your your the the world life imitates art art imitates life yada yada we are more connected so our art is easier to get out there good bad or indifferent i'm the guy with the gun <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, Angela, we got a lot, a lot of good stuff today. Yeah. And some good conversation. We're poor. We're just over two hours now, cool. Cool. which still flew. Yeah. Um, before we end, um, I didn't know you all that well before today. We crossed paths at ESU, like I said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been a lot of fun. 
It's and, been terrific. And, thank and you. And an honor and a way to have you come over. And thank you, Luke, because I'd like to have you back on. That'd so whenever you're feeling sure. it, I'll have you back on because this was a lot, a lot of fun talking with you, man. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to do this again anytime. Cool. <laughs> we'll set it up. I'm Tony Bagger. And that's your comedy. Listen to the Fisher's podcast. Hello, Don. Goodbye, Wimps.